The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hill knows that when we eat well, we live well. When we live well, we have rich, vibrant lives. By focusing our eating on properly prepared, nutrient-dense whole foods, Kelly Hill teaches us how easy eating well and living well can be. Now here's your host, Kelly Hill. Welcome to Eat Well to Live Well with me, your host, Kelly Hill. Today's topic can be very confusing. Food freedom or food independence You may be asking yourself, what the heck is she even talking about when she says food independence? Well, first, I want to discuss a bit about the complex system of corporate food. Unless you're growing up and and you're eating, you know, all the food that's been grown for you or you're growing yourself or you're getting everything you eat from your local farmer, you're purchasing corporate food giants food. And the question comes in, does it really matter? Well, every time we shop, we are vocalizing our preferences. When we spend our dollar, we are truly voting for a system. We can vote to change our system or we can vote for the system to remain the status quo. We only have to look to the countries outside of the United States to see governments that have taken a stand for health and outlawed things like the use of genetically modified organisms. Interestingly, these same companies have figured out how to make the same foods without the unhealthy ingredients. But that's only one example. The same holds true for purchasing from small local farmers or large corporate food producers. How all of this affects us as customers is a huge topic. To help me sort through it and make some sense, I'm joined today by two amazing guests. Lori Cohen-Peters is the co-founder of the national nonprofit F3C, Farm Food Freedom Coalition, And Dave Salch is a local sustainable farmer and advocate of a healthy food system who owns and operates Little Sprouts Farm. Lori's website is farmfoodfreedom.org and F3C, that's a little bit of a mouthful there, serves to educate and protect the rights of individual farmers, artisans, and consumers. She's also a health counselor and you can reach her personally at lcphealthworks.com. Dave's journey into sustainable farming has been detailed at his website, littlesproutsfarm.blogspot.com. So what we want to do is is we're going to kind of go back and forth a little bit today because what we want to start with is a brief explanation as to why a local market versus a global market creates a food paradox. We have an international demand for designer foods that are custom grown for manufacturers so that the food will taste the same no matter where it's purchased. Industrial food depends on uniform ingredients. A slice of pizza from Pizza Hut is expected to taste the exact same way in small town USA as it is in Tokyo, Japan. A Big Mac in Philadelphia needs to taste the same as in Kanpur, India. These food corporations are dependent on these uniform ingredients with extremely consistent components. 
you have to have the same lettuce, onions, pickles, tomatoes, special sauce, and sesame seed bun. I mean, let's be honest. It's this consistency that makes people choose these foods. Now, I've driven across a big chunk of America when I was younger, and we used to joke about you knew you were in a town, a real town, if it had a pizza hut. But really think about that. They have to create some sort of consistency with everything, dough, tomato sauce, cheese, pepperoni, and all the other toppings. When you really think about it, this is incredible technology that enable to replicate taste on such a global scale. Because truthfully, every time I bake even a, a meatloaf, it ends up tasting different every time. But the question comes in, where's the drawback of this monoculture in our food? Truthfully, it's the death of the small and medium-sized farms because they can't sell what they grow to these industrial food giants. If they're planting their own seeds, using their own methods, producing those great heirloom varieties of produce that our grandparents used to grow, then they're dependent on the consumer to purchase their pro produce over the mass-produced options at places such as Walmart, even if it costs a little bit more for this nutrient-dense, higher-quality food. So this becomes a very interesting topic, and I don't, I don't want to get on my soapbox too awfully long here, but, and I want the experts to step in with, with facts rather than my opinion. So uh, what I want to do is, is talk first to Dave, because Dave has been a, a farmer now for, for quite a while. Dave, are you with us? Yes, I'm here, Kelly. Oh, fabulous. So, um, <laughs> Dave, you have a really interesting story. At the beginning of your youth, you were on a conventional farm, and then you returned to that in the late in your late 20s, and then you traded in farming for the corporate world of computer software and database industry, producing high-tech solutions for Fortune 500 companies. And then when, you, when your wife decided to start a family, you traded it all in again to return to farming in rural Oregon. And now you own and operate a 10-acre sustainable farm. I, I so thank you for joining us today and taking the time to talk to people about the view and the this this these problems that we can't really understand unless we're right in the middle of it. Um, when I asked you for your bio in preparation of the show, there were a couple of things that caught my attention that I'd love to have you address. You wrote that your father died of cancer, presumably presumably from the extensive farm chemicals he used. I'm assuming this is why you've chosen to be an organic, sustainable farmer? Yeah, that's, that's true. <clears throat> My, uh, I remember I was pretty young when we left the farm, so I don't have a lot of first-time memories of that. It was my grandpa's farm, actually, and my dad uh, took over as grandpa retired. <clears throat> but I remember him telling stories of when DDT came out. We were uh, kind of poor farmers, and... To save money, they mounted the sprays of their tractor on the front of the tractor. It was much easier than trying to mount the spray utility behind the tractor. So they were driving through the DDT spray all day long. Oh, my and gosh. my dad used to say that when he got home at night, he could take his pants off and stand them up in the corner because they were coated dry with DDT. Wow. And sure enough, uh, him and my older brother both died of cancer uh, not too many years after we left the farm. So that, that's a very good original motivation to find better ways to do this. Well, it's interesting because DDT was approved by our government for use. It was considered a safe product. And, of course, it took took years, decades before they realized that it was a problem. Exactly. And, and that's one of the problems with all of this is you can't know what's going to happen 100 years down the road until you get 100 years down the road. 
So a lot of the things that we use today, the government says, is perfectly fine. Who knows what's going to happen in another 20, 30 years? How many more parents and grandparents and children have to suffer? I hope to not see that, but uh, that's why we're here. That's why we're making these these discussions out here. If you're just joining us today on Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill, we're discussing food independence and food freedom with Dave Salch, owner and operator of Little Sprouts Farm. You can follow his journey at littlesproutsblogspot.com. And so what we want to, I really want to know then is what <laughs> you started Little Sprouts Farm in 2010, leaving the corporate world behind. What made you want to go back to farming after all this? <clears throat> Well, it, it didn't actually come out that way. Oh, okay. We, we, we came to rural Oregon because we wanted to leave the city. We got tired of the, the lifestyle of high-tech Southern California, uh, so we came here to Oregon, and we thought we'd put in a couple of chickens and try our hands at making our own eggs. And um, then I, in the process of starting to learn how do you raise chickens, because I didn't know, um, we ran into people like Joel Salatin and uh, movies like Farm, Inc., and we started discovering that our agricultural system was just completely taken over by big corporations and pseudoscience. And the, the extent of it was just mind-boggling. So we started going down that road and realized that we had to start making our own food more and more for us. Simultaneous to this, <clears throat> some of my children started running into severe health issues that medical science couldn't address. So we started seeking answers and discovered that food was the way to help our own family but good food. One thing led to another, and before you know it, we've got food, we're sharing it with other people, and nowadays my wife and I wake up in the morning and look at each other and say, how did this happen? Because none of this was planned, it just developed over a period of years out of need. Wow, and, and so give me an idea, Give let our listeners know, what are some of the foods that you found to, to have the greatest health impact on your family? Wow, that's that's a loaded question. I know it is. Give me a few. Let's go that way. What are, well, what, if, I, if I was a listener and I wanted to try one or two products right now, what would you recommend? So the staples have been uh, raw egg yolks raised properly, and there's a, there's a whole conversation behind what raised properly means, but raw egg yolks, uh, raw milk, homemade sauerkraut, meaning... Uh, or, or fermented vegetables like sauerkraut, meaning no vinegar, nothing but salt and natural fermentation products, and then plenty of good, properly raised, soy-free, saturated fats like lard. That's really the staples of, of our diet. Well, see, that sounds perfect to me, but... Um... And I want, I do want to come back to the eggs, actually. I, I know because this is one of those areas, uh, I did a whole episode on what properly prepared means, but we haven't really gotten into the pieces of conventional versus pastured eggs, and it is a huge topic. So explain a little bit what a person should be looking for when they go out to buy their eggs, it, assuming that they don't have the, the, the benefit of walking onto a farm like yours and, you know, maneuvering around the chicken in order yeah. to you know, grab an egg. Well, <clears throat> the ultimate egg is produced in a situation where the chickens live on the ground on, on living grass on the ground because their diet is supposed to be primarily uh, bugs, which you have to have them living on the dirt in order for them to get the bugs. That's why pastured is such a big deal. Cage-free and all these different nomenclatures are not the same thing. Pastured implies that they're raised on a pasture on the dirt. 
If they're in any kind of pins, um, then that's not the same thing. So that's one aspect. The other problem is, in order to be economically feasible, the chickens have to be fed something. Uh, you can't raise enough chickens on just a piece of land to make this economically feasible for the farmer. So he has to supplement with some sort of food. And there we get into what kind of food is that? Is it organic food? Is it soy-free food? Ultimately, what you want in the chicken yolk is uh, a soy-free fed chicken with minimal corn um, and a high omega-3 source of, <clears throat> of protein. The, the particular food that we use, for instance, is made out of flaxseed oil and flaxseed. So it comes out with a high omega-3 content, and that gets translated into the egg yolks. Um, so the other thing you want to make sure of is that the chickens are heritage breeds because the breed of the chicken determines the, the nutritional balance of the eggs. And a heritage chicken, although they will lay fewer eggs and therefore cost more to buy, you will get a much more nutrient-dense egg out of it. Oh, and they're so beautiful. That's the thing that I just love. If you if you haven't gotten a chance to go buy real eggs, it is so amazing to me to see the color variations in the shell, to open them and see those golden yolks. I mean, it's really, it's not, I mean, it's so not like the white egg that you see in a grocery store. It's almost unbelievable to me. Yeah. And that's one of the things you notice about chicken eggs. Um, the more alike they look, the less nutritious they tend to be. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. One no wonder mine that, looks so pretty. It's just like you were saying about Pizza Hut, how it has to be the same everywhere. Well, eggs and most animal products are raised the same way by conventional farmers. They're made so that everything looks exactly the same. But in reality, nature is, is full of variety. So eggs should be all different sizes, all different colors, all different textures, different thicknesses, because chickens are not made to be all genetic clones of each other. So therefore, their eggs are going to be all different if they're natural chickens. And that's the, what we're looking for. We have to take a short break. We've been talking with Dave Salch from Little Sprouts Farm about his perspective of food independence and food freedom from the overly produced conventional food. If you missed any part of the show, download the MP3 at iTunes or listen on my website, therightnutritionplan.com. We'll be back to continue to talk to Dave, and uh, hopefully we'll pick up Lori from uh, the food, food – I'm going to mess up the – at three F's. I just know it. Every time I'm going to have to look this one up at the F3C Farm Food Freedom Coalition to continue this discussion. We'll be right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Want energy all day? Ready to lose fat without feeling deprived? Tired of complicated weight loss programs? Wish there was a way to lose weight without processed and unnatural food? It's time to jumpstart your metabolism in a healthy way, the Kelly Hill way. This easy-to-follow two-week fat loss program has a 100% success rate to date. It creates and maintains overall health while reducing fat. You'll have more energy, think clearer, feel better, and have lost fat. All while following the two-week menu plan of simple recipes that use real, natural food and include healthy tips for every meal. The two-week fat loss program is a clear, easy-to-follow plan that will help anyone get back on the road to optimal health. Order the Right Plan Nutritional Counseling two-week fat loss program today at therightnutritionplan.com book. Better than an apple a day? 
an online membership to the right plan. With an on-the-go lifestyle, it can be hard to make our nutrition a priority. Kelly Hill was there. That's why the Right Plan Nutrition Online Membership was formed. Over the years, Kelly's worked on solutions that can make health and nutrition decisions easier, saving time and money. Find hundreds of fun, fast, exciting, healthy recipes for the family that everyone will love. A new recipe with video tutorial each month so you fully understand how to make what are sure to become your family's favorite foods. Great research on biased articles on nutrition, encouragement through the success stories of others, weekly support emails to help you continue reaching your goals, and so much more. Membership has its benefits. And with the Right Play Nutrition Online Membership, the benefit is more time to spend with a healthier you and healthier family. Become a member today at therightnutritionplan.com slash membership. Everything has a purpose and a plan. Make it your purpose and right plan. RightNutritionPlan.com Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Eat Well to Live Well with your host, Kelly Hill. If you have a question for Kelly, you can email her at eatwelltolivewell at therightnutritionplan.com. Now let's get back to Kelly Hill. Welcome back as we continue to, at Eat Well to Live Well. I'm your host, Kelly Hill. Today we've been talking about food independence in the form of local markets versus global markets. And we're joined today by Lori Cohen-Peters. She's a co-founder of the national nonprofit F3C Farm Food Freedom Coalition. Lori's website is farmfoodfreedom.org, and F3C serves to educate and protect the rights of individual farmers, artisans, and consumers. She's also the Director of Communications at the Institute for Responsible Technology, and that address, although we've said it many times, thanks to our wonderful segment on GMO, responsibletechnology.org. She's also a health counselor and can be reached at lcphealthworks.com. Lori received her Bachelor of Arts with a double major in History of Mathematics and Science Philosophy. She furthered her study in Holistic Nutrition at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. She is a 20-plus year... Boy, I'm sorry, that makes you sound old, doesn't it? I should have skipped that. My apologies. A real food advocate, speaker, writer, and blogger on the topic of healthy living. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lori. Lovely to be here, Kelly. Thank you. Well, what I'd like to do is uh, we still have Dave with us from Little Sprouts Farm. Of course, you can learn all about what he's doing as a sustainable farmer at littlesproutsfarm.com. What I'd like to do is uh, do a, a talk to you each about uh, how this, how what we're seeing is changing. I was doing a little bit of research and, and came across that the world peasant movement says 60% of the people on the planet have come to rely on a total of just four crops, corn, rice, soy, and wheat. Again, we're basically talking a monoculture rather than a biodiversity in our food landscape. How do you think this is affecting farmers and consumers? Lori, why don't we start with you? Well, it's affecting both the farmer and the consumer on a myriad of levels. I mean, the first one that I like to think about is the health factor, And you can imagine that when you lose diversity in crop, you're losing nutrients in the soil, you're losing an opportunity to fortify the body with those uh, essential vitamins and nutrients that you originally had as part of the uh, human landscape for healthy um, nutrition. 
But um, more specifically, those crops barring wheat, and there's a lot of confusion around wheat because it's been so grossly hybridized. It kind of is like a genetically modified product, but it's not modified in the traditional way of the other products that you listed, the corn and the soy. You didn't mention canola, right? Because I did not. That, luckily, that's still not one of the top four, but um, we'll see what happens in the future. Right. Um, well, these are, as you know, grossly genetically modified products, and um, this has all sorts of health issues connected to it. There's environmental issues that are of concern, as well as the fact that the seeds of these products are patented, so they're corporately controlled, and it causes a whole backlash on the farmer who either would like to succeed without using GMOs and then doesn't get the subsidies and the government support that the GMO farmer does, or he's been duped into believing some of the um, propaganda of the biotech companies that promise higher yields and less weeds, which we're now seeing are actually just that propaganda. They're actually failing on the claims. So it becomes a struggle, and also for a while there wasn't a demand for non-GMO product, and so um, many farmers, they went with the GMO crop thinking that that would um, keep them viable. What we're finding now is that the percentage of labeled non-GMO product is actually the fastest growing sector in the um, food sales. As well, there's a lot of corporations that are starting to demand non-GMO product. So hopefully we'll see a shift in that. But just speaking um, about being reliant on specific crops, obviously that causes a threat to heirloom varieties, and again, it limits the nutrient availability. Thank you. Dave, how have you seen this change, or have you seen this affect you? Well, I, I perhaps see a different end of it because um, we specialize largely in very nutrient-dense foods, the kind of foods that you turn to when you're trying to heal by using foods. So what we see is a huge influx of people that are waking up and realizing that they need good, nutritious foods and they don't know where to find it and they don't know how to prepare it. I literally am facing constantly this problem of having to turn people away because we can't possibly create enough food to feed all the people that need this kind of food. And it just seems to be getting bigger and bigger every day that goes by. See, that is exactly, uh, that's a really good statement. And this is what I experience in the, in the paradigm that I work. Because when I'm working with my clients as a nutritionist and I identify what they need in order to heal their body or to get, you know, to live a healthy lifestyle, then it becomes an issue of how to source and afford these foods. And when you've got a government that's focusing on really subsidizing specific crops and not others, and when you're looking at bills or like the Food Safety uh, uh, Modernization Act that's up for regulatory um, guidelines right now, these types of things really start to uh, suffocate the smaller producer because they have to now bend toward the regulations that are set up for larger um, organizations that have the bandwidth, the manpower, and the money to meet the criteria. And so you see a lot of these smaller farmers sort of dying on the vine, which makes that nutrient-dense food less available to the consumer. So once they wake up and realize they need it, the next question is, how do they get it and how do they afford it? And that's really, you know, that's the paradigm that I work within every day. 
If you're just joining us today on Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill, we're discussing food independence and food freedom with Lori Cohen-Peters, co-founder of the national nonprofit F3C, Farm Food Freedom Coalition, which you can find out more about at farmfoodfreedom.org, and Dave Salch of Little Sprouts Farm, and you can learn all about him at littlesproutsfarm.com. If you missed any part, download the free MP3 from iTunes or listen on my website, therightnutritionplan.com. So I do, I want to go back to just a second to the mention of the government. So most people assume that the government is making decisions in our best interest. Yet when I wanted raw milk for my family, the same type of milk that all generations of my family had drank, it was difficult to locate because of current laws. How are these decisions being made right now? Lori, why don't you start off? Well, when you say decisions, you mean in terms of what states allow for the legal sales of raw yes. milk? Yes. How, how is this changing? In fact, Dave and I had talked about this a little bit as we we're getting ready because eight years ago, it, it, it was really, really difficult to find. We're getting more and more of it here. We're very, and, and we were talking about the fact that now the, the demand is outpacing the supply because people are understanding this. So how, how is this, this, government changing or is it changing uh, what, what we're, is available to us now? Well, you have to understand that the chain of command comes from um, big business, right? So the dairy industry is very powerful, and they give their directive to the CDC, to the FDA, to the USDA, and at every level, each individual may have a different understanding of what they're doing, but ultimately the directive has been to clamp down on the raw dairy farmer because it's under the auspices that raw dairy is harmful or dangerous to consume. So, um, for instance, and this goes back, this is a nice symmetry to your initial question, because what people don't realize, and, the, and society in general still believes that raw milk is dangerous. So it's a good, vulnerable food product to attack from the government's perspective because there's not a lot of consumer support. Those that are realizing the values in raw milk are very small, to the larger percentage of people that believe that raw milk is dangerous. So what, they, what people don't understand is that a true raw dairy farmer generally has a biodiverse farm. He can't have more than 50 cows to properly do it, although there are some raw dairy farms in California that have larger herds such as organic pastures, right? But um, they generally don't have more than 50 to do it properly, which means that they have to have other things that they offer their community. They usually have some chickens, so they offer eggs. They grow some veggies, so they offer vegetables. It depends on the farmer, but it's a variety of food stuff. When they knock out the raw dairy farmer, which is a fairly, unfortunately, in my F3C work, it's a fairly common thing that happens where the FDA will charge the raw dairy farmer on a myriad of charges that have little legal weight, if any, but it takes him out, out of the fields and it takes him into the courthouse and it costs a lot of money and oftentimes they're successful in just abolishing that raw dairy farmer. But when they take away a raw dairy farmer, they're taking away all those other nutrient-dense, um, you know, naturally grown or organically grown food stuff that he's supplying to his community. But I think ultimately, you know, just to cut to the chase of your question, I believe that there's a zero uh, lack of tolerance for um, market share and that the uh, dairy industry wants to own, you know, industrialized dairy wants to own the market. Dave, what are you seeing as a farmer in this, in this realm? Well, I, I, 
I offer a little bit of a different viewpoint. I don't disagree Great. at all. You're, you're completely right in what you're saying. Um, but let's, let's take, for instance, let's just assume for a second that the government agencies are actually having the people's best interests at heart. And what they're doing in, in trying to protect the public is removing any food that has any possibility of causing a problem. Now, if you sit back and look at that, that removes practically every food that the local farmer has produced in the last so many thousand years. Because any food that's in its natural form will go bad very quickly and is prone to cause problems. So the government is trying to get rid of the foods that mankind has lived on for so many years, even if they're doing the right thing. If you take out the corporate influence and you take out all of that stuff and get down to just what is the law trying to do, they're trying to get rid of the foods that have both the potential to help you and to hurt you because they go hand in hand. And that, that's just a fact of food for human nature is that the food that can help you the most, if it's not properly handled, can also hurt you the most. You know, I'm not suggesting that we're not disagreeing, by the way. We're very much simpatico. I'm not suggesting that raw milk doesn't have any potential health hazards to it. Uh, CAFO vegetables have more health hazards statistically than raw milk, but raw milk has a higher statistic uh, risk than pasteurized milk, but then pasteurized milk has a myriad of other issues once the milk is digested in terms of nutrient, uh, devoid of nutrients and uh, links to celiacs and other kinds of issues. But what I'm saying is that the, the information that's reported on the CDC site is usually not in agreement with stats that are on the FDA site, that the reasons why raw dairy farmers are targeted is not really commensurate with how the laws are normally employed outside of this issue. Um, I used to feel that I used to believe that raw milk was dangerous. I only discovered through my buying club, which was um, a, uh, had a SWAT team come in and uh, annihilate $85,000 worth of food and arrested my farmer and food club director and broke up the food club. That's when I started learning about this. So I used to feel very moderate about um, the whole issue. Well, first I felt that they were doing the right thing, and then I felt moderate, and I didn't want to believe that there was any kind of bias. But after doing the work as long as I have been and being involved with so many farmers who have zero track record of any kind of illness related to the foods they provided, I have to say that there's definitely an inequitous um, approach to how our sustainable farmers, particularly our raw dairy farmers, are being dealt with with government agencies, especially okay. when you look at, like, large outbreaks and things like Tyson and such and how they're being handled. It's just not balanced. Well, we need to take just a short break. Uh, we're talking about food independence with Lori Cohen-Peters, co-founder of the national nonprofit F3C Farm Food Freedom Coalition, and Dave Salch with Little Sprouts Farm. You're listening to Eat Well to Live Well with me, your host, Kelly Hill. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Here is your opportunity to create a vibrant new you. 
Join international radio talk show host Kelly Hill and women's natural health coach Michelle Greenman at the Vibrant New Year Retreat. This retreat will empower you to make the changes you've been searching for and help lay in the foundation for living the life you want to live, the vibrant you. Located at the beautiful Ashland Springs Resort in Ashland, Oregon, this retreat will help you create a vibrant life by first constructing your perfect plan and setting your vision and creating accountability for yourself. Kelly and Michelle will help you conquer negative self-talk, find positive motivation, and teach you how to create more vibrancy in your life. The Lithia Ashland Springs Resort offers its guests free breakfast each morning, natural mineral waters with soaking tubs, and so much more. For more information about the Vibrant New You Retreat, visit therightnutritionplan.com slash retreat. This wonderful opportunity is only offered to a limited number of people. So visit therightnutritionplan.com slash retreat to reserve your seat today. Not only can you learn about new and fascinating nutritional products at therightnutritionplan.com, but you can win them too. Every month, The Right Plan features a nutritional or innovative product like the ECO Lunchbox, pumpkin seed butter and pumpkin protein powder, fudge sauce from Wax Orchards, Zorba's handcrafted raw chocolates, coconut oil, and so much more. And every month, one lucky visitor will win the product to try themselves. It's easy to enter. Just visit therightnutritionplan.com slash giveaway. After you've entered the giveaway, check out some of Kelly's delicious recipes that not only will please your taste buds, but your waistline and health as well. At therightnutritionplan.com, you'll learn more about all the wonderful nutritious options that are available to you and your family. Remember, everything has a purpose and a plan. Make it your purpose in the right plan. Rightnutritionplan.com slash giveaway. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Eat Well to Live Well with your host, Kelly Hill. Have a question for Kelly? You can email her at eatwelltolivewell at therightnutritionplan.com. Now back to Kelly Hill. Welcome back as we continue at Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. I'm your host, Kelly Hill. Before the break, we're fortunate enough to hear from both Lori Cohen-Peters, co-founder of the national nonprofit F3C Farm Food Freedom Coalition that serves to educate and protect the rights of individual farmers, artisans, and consumers. Check out the website at foodfarmfreedom.org. And giving us a perspective of food independence and freedom from the overly produced food is also Dave Salch from Little Sprouts Farm. And you can find his information at littlesproutsfarm.com. I want, um, we, we started a little bit in an area there that I want to talk about because one of the things that I've really noticed, and I don't want to go into a long story, but the short of it is I was at a Whole Foods in Southern California, looked at some spinach, and the spinach was coming from China. Here I am in the middle of California where I could have, you know, you should have been able to get spinach practically by throwing a, a rock next door. And yet we're looking at this product that's been flown all the way from China. So what is going on in our food system that that is allowed this type of thing to happen? Lori, you want to start? Well, I mean, first of all, we have trade agreements, so there's that. There's also the whole trickle-down of the economics and what makes it most viable. And I have to tell you, one of the things that I do is I source non-GMO product for restaurants. It is hard to find here. I don't have the stats in front of me, but the percentage of farmers that we've lost over the course of 50 years is so gross, and we just don't have that much access to the produce or the proteins that we need to feed 
um, our populace, certainly not in a sustainable way. And it's been eye-opening for me, particularly with protein and sourcing for restaurants, because they're still working within a conventional or an industrial paradigm. So the amount of protein that they're asking for to feed out of their restaurants is incommensurate with what's available um, sustainably, or at least it's hard for me to find. In fact, Chipotle, which is a chain restaurant that's recently declared their commitment to non-GMO product, is eating up so many of the resources that this restaurant chain that's come to me said, we don't know what to do. We can't find the producers to give us sustainable fare because Chipotle is eating it all up. So we're actually sourcing our beef from Argentina right now. That's kind of a little inside view of part of the problem here in America. Well, so Dave, how can a local farmer not be able to supply a fresher, higher quality product than getting it from, from a place, you know, overseas? Well, that's, that's not really the question. Um, okay. Because the answer is sure, we can. The problem is there's only so many of us. Well, the, the problem is the culture of America, in my mind. This is my own personal view. We, we have kids going to school, and we make very sure to teach them to be doctors and lawyers and high-tech people, and we send them into these industries where they can make a lot of money. And we praise the fixing of the body through medical science and research and doctors and what have you, but we don't push anywhere or glorify the sustaining of the body. And that just doesn't make any sense to me. If we would have, <clears throat> if we would have the good farms around the area that we need around every major city, if it was surrounded by a 1,000 10-acre farms, then you would have the fresh local food that you need. But instead, on any major city, I bet you have no more than a dozen local farms, and there's no way they can keep up with the demand. The average age of the farmer is now in the 60s, pushing the 70s, because young people aren't going that way or haven't been. Now, we are seeing the trend change. Um, because we're in the sustainable farming movement, so to speak, we get calls all the time from young families, uh, young couples, that want to follow us, and they want to come over and learn how we're doing it and, and how do we make the transition. And it's very refreshing to see all these people, but I can count them on two hands, the people that we see every two or three months. And, and the bottom line is we need a 1,000 farms of 10 acres around every city, not a farm of a 1,000 acres. That's the way this works. You just need more farms. Interesting. So I, 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 you mentioned kids, and I have, to, I have to ask. So a few years ago, we were at the local county farm, and my son was probably about five then, and we visited the animal petting zoo, and he's rubbing the cow's nose and telling him, thanks for being so tasty. And people were just shocked around us that my son knew where his meat came from. And I feel like we've lost this knowledge base. How do you suggest listeners help their children learn about where food comes from? Dave, let's start with you. Well, that's a tough one because um, that's a really delicate topic. We we have an open farm and people come visit all the time with their children and some parents are very leery of explaining exactly what farm animals are meant for, especially meat animals. Uh, even so far as we run into the occasional child that will come up and say, gee, why don't you just buy your meat in the grocery store so that nothing has to die? <laughs> They're that disconnected to how this works. Um, so we're, we're very respectful, and we go only as far as the parents want to go. But I think visiting farms and seeing that there can be a good life is, is a great first step. A lot of people have turned to vegetarianisms that I've met simply because they see how farm animals are treated in the big industrial farms, and it's just appalling. That's one of the reasons why I'm a farmer, because I didn't want 
to have any part of that world. I couldn't buy meat from those kinds of organizations. So the way we raise animals, they have a perfectly good life just like they would in nature. It's completely different than what you see on TV and the news about what's happening in these places. And bringing the kids out, letting them see what happens, letting them experience it, it it brings a whole new light and connects you to your food and and where our health comes from. I would just add that um, I'm a mother of two, and I speak to, I hold groups, nutritional groups, and I speak to moms and families all the time. And I would say that one of the key things that you can do is to start having this discussion early. Talk about where the food comes from. Don't be afraid to discuss and to introduce foods to your children at a young age that you, the adult, are eating to fortify your body. I think it's very bizarre that we have kids' menus and adult menus at restaurants. Kids' menus are always a devoid of nutrition fare. And, you know, I think that if you look at it, really, if People are so afraid their kids aren't going to embrace these foods, but actually the younger they are, the more eager they are to learn, I have found on a whole. I also would really suggest not only, as Dave said, taking, you know, your kids to see a CSA or whatever farms. I do CSA tours with my kids in the summer. It's very fun. But also have some kind of little garden. Even if you only have a balcony, you can get some pots and you can grow some tomatoes together. Get your kids involved in whatever way they can in the whole growing process. I think it's so important. The younger you start, the better. Well, I have to be honest. If my only choice was food that is factory farmed, I probably would be a vegetarian too. But it's not that black and white. There are these these wonderful options out here of of pastured food, and and that's where my meat comes from. That's why my son thinks the cow is tasty. So I I do think it's possible to start these discussions early, but it is is difficult. You're right, Dave. It is difficult for people that are just beginning this conversation with people. Um, You know, we've talked about in fact, Dave, you've written about how unhealthy our food is in a conventional sense. Can you explain a little more about that? Well, uh, I have a personal interest in this because, like I said earlier, my own family, I have several children, and some of them had some pretty severe health issues that are rooted in not a food or a type of food, but the fact that the standard American diet is devoid of nutrition and Americans are basically starving to death while we're eating ourselves silly. And the the difference becomes, what I've learned over the years is it's not just how the food is prepared. It's not just how it's packaged. It's not just how it's raised. It's not just what it's fed. It's not just whether it's GMO or not. It's all of the above. Everything affects it to some degree. So the only way to get a really good traditional food that people had 200 years ago is to put all those things back into place. It has to be the proper breed, raised the right way, fed the right feed, processed properly, packaged properly, and prepared properly. Everything has to be together. Lori, do you want to comment? Um, I I would agree. I think that um, I don't even know what specifically we were discussing, but I do think it's important that all foods that you are uh, consume, that it be as close to its original and natural um, growth uh, or production um, that you can get. I don't. I don't really know. I have more to add. Sorry. 
No, that's perfect. That I mean, I think we're, we, we've heard the same thing multiple times, and sometimes that's what we need to hear from different, different perspectives, the same thing, that we need to get back to nutrient-dense whole foods, which is, you know, the, what I preach constantly. So, I, you know, it's great to hear it, and I'm sure it's great for my listeners to hear it from somebody besides me, too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're going to go ahead and take a short break right now. We've been talking with Dave Saltz from Little Sprouts Farm about his perspective of food independence and freedom from the overly produced conventional food, as well as Lori Cohen-Peters from the F3C Farm Food Freedom Coalition. If you missed any part of the show, download the, the MP3 at iTunes or listen on the website, therightnutritionplan.com. We'll be back to continue to identify ways that you can make a difference by voting with your food dollar. Sign up to receive similar nutrition tips weekly for free by email at therightnutritionplan.com. You're listening to Eat Well to Live Well with me, your host, Kelly Hill. future of online tv is here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today better than an apple a day an online membership to the right plan with an on-the-go lifestyle it can be hard to make our nutrition a priority kelly hill was there that's why the right plan nutrition online membership was formed over the years kelly's worked on solutions that can make health and nutrition decisions easier saving time and money find hundreds of fun fast exciting healthy recipes for the family that everyone will love a new recipe with video tutorial each month so you fully understand how to make what are sure to become your family's favorite foods great research done biased articles on nutrition encouragement through the success stories of others weekly support emails to help you continue reaching your goals and so much more membership has its benefits and with the right play nutrition online membership the benefit is more time to spend with a healthier you and healthier family become a member today at the membership everything has a purpose and a plan make it your purpose and right plan rightnutritionplan.com cleanse and detoxify your body 28 Days to Better Health Using Nutrient-Dense Whole Foods is the hot new book written by Kelly Hill. We're inundated daily with toxic compounds in our food, water, air, even our own metabolic process. In this new book, Kelly leads us on that 28-day journey to better health using real, natural food. Experience with over 60 recipes to choose from. This is a cleanse that won't leave you bored. And while your taste buds are happy, you'll benefit from increased energy levels, an improved digestive system, a decrease in food sensitivities and cravings, minimizing aches, pains, and allergies. Begin your 28-day journey to better health and nutrition today by ordering your copy of Cleanse and Detoxify Your Body at therightnutritionplan.com book. Everything has a purpose and a plan. Make it your purpose and the right plan. rightplannutrition.com slash book. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Eat Well to Live Well with your host, Kelly Hill. You can connect with the show by emailing Kelly at eatwelltolivewell at therightnutritionplan.com. Follow Kelly on Twitter at The Right Plan. Now back to Kelly Hill. Welcome back as we continue at Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. 
I'm your host, Kelly Hill. Today, we've been talking about food independence and freedom of food choices. Next week, our topic will be coconut. Joining me to discuss the nutritional benefits of coconut, as well as how to use coconut in your cooking, will be Dr. Bruce Fife, who's written over 20 books, including some of my all-time favorites, The Coconut Oil Miracle, Eat Fat, Look Thin, and Cooking with Coconut Flour. He's appeared on hundreds of radio and television programs worldwide, and we're fortunate to have him with us next week. Now let's get back to what you can do right now to make a difference. When we shop, our purchases are a vote within our food system, and we need to make our votes count. So before I go on my soapbox, I'm going to ask each of our guests what they feel that people can do as consumers to vote with the dollars that they're spending in the marketplace. Who would like to start? Well, I'll expand on what you just said because that is my big thing as a small farmer. Voting with your food dollars is extremely important. I can tell you from personal experience, every single customer and every single purchase makes a difference to my bottom line because I don't have a million customers. I have in the, in the order of hundreds. And every single thing, every single carton of egg that's purchased from me makes a difference in my bottom line and how I do things. You go to the grocery store and you buy something from a label, whether you buy that or not is not going to make any difference on their bottom line. But the vote does count with the local farmers. So the, the thing that I'd like to impress on everyone is find a local farm, find out who's doing it right, and spend your dollars at that local farm to, to help your family and to help that farm to grow. That's the most important thing to me that we can do in this country right now is seek out the farms that are doing it right and spend our money there. Perfect. So we're going to find small local farms in your area. Look for local farmers markets, local food cooperatives. Start a dialogue with these vendors in these places. They are a fountain of knowledge about where to shop and how to use these foods. It's amazing how much you'll find just by asking. If you're not sure, visit websites like farmmatch.com to connect worldwide with local farmers, buying clubs, farmers markets, and restaurants that offer fresh, sustainable, organic foods. You can also do uh, community-supported agriculture. Find that at localharvest.org. Both great options. Lori, what do you? What's your number one recommendation? Um, first of all, my mo is shop your vote on your plate. So this is very in alignment with all of the work that I try to do. And I also would say that. Um, you know, celebrating the positives and what we can do to shift the gross imbalance is really important because we can. We can make such a difference in our community and then ultimately in the larger playing field just by being mindful about where we put our, our spending dollars. So what I would say is definitely get to know your local farmers, seek out farmers markets, CSAs, everything that he's just said. I would also recommend farmmatch.com, farmmatch.com. That's a um, website that can help link you with farmers in your area, or if you're a farmer, can help you link you with um, consumers who are looking for your products. There's also realmilk.com that does another type of thing that way. You can look up Weston A. Price Foundation. They have chapter leaders. You can find someone in your area who can alert you to sustainable farmers. I would recommend also responsibletechnology.org. Um, if you go to their website and put in shopping guide, you can download the non-GMO shopping guide in paper form, or you can download the app for your iPhone so that even if you're not able to get 
food direct from the farmer, you can support producers that are committed to sustainability. And make sure that you you look at what the symbol for the non-GMO verified products looks like. If you're not aware of it, uh, again, go to responsibletechnology.org or therightnutritionplan.com, and I have it listed there as well. And Weston A. Price Foundation is another fabulous piece that you mentioned there. And that, that's actually where I first met Dave. This is a great opportunity to connect with like-minded folks in your area because most small farmers don't have the ability to spend their extra dollars on advertising. But once you meet a few people, you'll quickly find many other people that know where those healthiest options are. Worldwide chapters you can find at Weston aprice.org and this foundation is dedicated to restoring nutrient dense foods to the human diet through education research and activism uh, we're really fortunate dr kayla daniel the vice president of the west today price foundation and member of the board of directors of the farm to consumer legal defense fund will be joining us on december 2nd to discuss if soy is really a health food you probably have a pretty good idea already but again find a chapter with uh, like-minded people to help you connect within your community westonaprice.org is another option there what about giving financially? Dave, you know, I know there's some places where where people that are they're defending themselves as farmers, they're trying to do the right thing. Are there places where people can give financially if they have uh, a little extra money they want to send? Yeah, you know, there's an interesting option there. Um, there's a lot of what's called crowdfunding projects, and farms are more and more turning to that. Uh, we're actually preparing to do one ourselves. <clears throat> where you have uh, websites like Kickstarter and, and that sort, uh, farms will have a project they need to raise money for, go on there and explain their project and ask for a sum of money that is collected from individuals that donate, and you get something for that, uh, some farm products or some kind of token of appreciation. That's a great way to support a local farm and let them grow and, and produce what they need. Fabulous. Uh, Lori, what do you what do you suggest for helping support our local farmers? Well, because I'm in the NGO sector, I can tell you that working nonprofit, we're always um, happy to receive some support. We work, the F3C, Farm Food Freedom Coalition, is a nonprofit. It's grassroots, and it really, it's in full disclosure, so all the money just goes to support whatever farmer that we're helping at the moment. Um, I would also recommend uh, the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, because they're a nonprofit that has legal support for farmers in need, um, and they work completely pro bono and with the donations from their supporters. And then finally, I would say um, also, you know, uh, Responsible Technology, another organization, we work completely, um, it's, a, it's a, might, a small but mighty team, let's put it that way. So all donations always go to some effort within the movement. Um, and it's always appreciated. So listeners, make sure you check out the websites farmfoodfreedom.org or farmtoconsumer.org or responsibletechnology.org. And of course, donating to your local farmer to help them purchase seeds, feed, and other farming necessities, I'm sure would always be appreciated. I'm sure if you check out Little Sprouts Farm and our dot com and want to help Dave, he will take your money just as well because everybody needs uh, assistance as we we try and create nutrient-dense whole foods in our community. Remember, you can make a difference. Every time we shop, we are vocalizing our preferences. 
When we spend our dollar, we are truly voting for a system. We can vote to change our system or we can vote for the system to remain the status quo. Every single person's dollar can affect the system. It may not seem meaningful as a single individual, but as a group, it adds up. And especially for small farm operators, every single customer is precious and makes a huge impact on the future of the farm. I want to thank Dave Salch for reminding us of that today and taking time from his busy schedule to explain about his journey into sustainable farming. Remember, you can read all about it at his website, littlesproutsfarm.com. As a small farmer, he wasn't here to sell you anything but to encourage us to all purchase from small local farmers. Get out and know your farmer, and you'll impact the economy and the community. I'd also like to thank Lori Cohen-Peters, co-founder of the national nonprofit F3C, Farm Food Freedom Coalition, for joining us today and helping to see the bigger picture of what's happening in our complex food system. Lori's website is farmfoodfreedom.org, and F3C serves to educate and protect the rights of individual farmers, artisans, and consumers. Again, thank you both for, uh, for taking the time out of your busy day to join us and help us understand a very confusing and controversial issue. I so appreciate your willingness to share your experience with me and my listeners. Remember, if you've missed any part of the show, download the MP3 at iTunes or listen on my website, therightnutritionplan.com, where you can also sign up for free weekly nutrition tips via email. Next week, we'll have Dr. Bruce Fife here to discuss the nutrition and health benefits of coconut because when you eat well, you live well. So join me every Monday at 2 p.m. for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. See you next week, and thank you one more time to both of my guests. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. And thank you, Lori, for joining us today. Thank you, Kelly. Have a wonderful evening. You too. Bye. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Live Well to Eat Well with Kelly Hill. You can listen to the program live every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Everything you eat has a purpose and a plan. Make it your purpose and the right plan. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.